Welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. This is a podcast for first responders and those who support first responders. And on this show, we talk about mental health and wellness for first responders. And our goal is to have deep conversations that inspire and motivate you to take care of yourself and your peers when it comes to your mental health. Hi, my name is Conrad Weaver. I'm your host, and I'm excited to bring you this program. And I'm so grateful that you stopped by to watch and to, or to listen to the show today. So if you're watching on YouTube, please let us know where you're watching from. Put it in the, in the comments or in the show notes. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit that subscribe button. We'd really like to know, you know where you're from and what you do and what you think about the show. And we want to know how we can improve the show. So please leave us a review. You know, talking about finances is something that most of us try to avoid. I think it's mostly because we've made stupid or bad choices when it comes to how we use our money. Well, it's well known that financial issues is are, are the top cause of divorce and one of the top causes of stress in all of our lives, whether you're a first responder or not. So it's especially important if you're a first responder and you're dealing with a lot of stress in your life anyway, it's so important to be able to manage your finances in a way that reduces stress in your life. And I'm happy to say that this is possible. No matter where you're at, whether you're starting out in your career or you're getting ready to retire, there are strategies for winning the financial game. So you can become a millionaire, according to my guest. You can become a millionaire. Sound too good to be true? Well, stay tuned. So Nick Darty began his career with the Grand Prairie Police Department in Texas, and he served as a patrol officer, a school resource officer, an underage alcohol and drug task force officer. And in 2012, he was promoted to the rank of sergeant where he served as a patrol sergeant, field, field training supervisor, fleet coordinator, criminal intelligence unit sergeant. He was just all over uh, the agency as an officer. Nick semi-retired in August of 2017 and continues to serve as a reserve officer for the Grand Prairie Police Department. Today, Nick is the president and owner of Financial Cop LLC, a full service financial firm for first responders run by first responders, as well as being a licensed life insurance agent. He is a graduate and coordinator of Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. He's also a certified Ramsey Solutions master trained financial coach and has coached hundreds of first responders through financial crises. In 2012, he created a revolutionary financial wellness class that he has he and his team have taught to over 10,000 first responders nationally. Nick Darty, welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, uh, where you come from. I know you were in law enforcement for some years and now you're working in the financial world. Tell us about that. So I came into law enforcement in 2003, having done a lot of stupid stuff with money, which qualified mm -hmm. me as a rookie. Um, I had started making a bunch of money before I joined law enforcement, and I'd never been used to making a bunch of money. So I started doing a bunch of stupid stuff with money. And I had amassed, by the time I was a rookie officer, a, a debt load of about $80,000 in consumer debt. Uh, 21,000 of that was in one car stereo system. Yes, wow. just one. Um, and I had discovered the most beautiful program in the world is a brand new cop. It's called overtime. <laughs> and I started working overtime like crazy. And I worked my way into a situation where if I didn't work 20 hours of overtime every week, I didn't pay my bills anymore, which is really scary in our industry. Wow. 
because it's not a matter of if it's when you get injured and you can't work overtime uh, when you're on light duty. And so I had found the Dave Ramsey program and I fell in love with his uh, debt snowball mentality. And I used that debt snowball mentality to pay off all $80,000 in debt by working about a thousand hours of overtime over 24 months. And so that's how I became the money nerd. And then fast forward to 2011, my chief Steve Dye at the time said, Hey, I want you to start teaching my recruits about this. And that has since bridged into, again, one of the largest, really the largest financial wellness training group in the country that's all owned and operated and run by first responders for first responders. Mm. Do you think this is a, a, ubiqu a ubiquitous problem in the first responder arena? It's a massive problem. And it's not just the first responder arena. It's, it's really the entire country. And you know, when you talk about the wellness space, um, I've gotten very involved in the PTSD suicide uh, prevention, and I, I work with a lot of the hotlines to come in as a crisis coach for financial coaching. And I mean, you think about one of the biggest things we're dealing with in law enforcement and the fire side, which is suicide right now. And, you know, top two reasons for suicide in America given typically are relationships and money. And it's two things that we really suck at. We, we have a very high divorce rate and we do a lot of stupid stuff with money. When you were in the middle of your $80,000 debt load. I mean, how did that make you feel? Uh, I was overwhelmed. Um, I have a slide in my class that I teach. It's got a guy on a, on a, a, a pinwheel that's just running. And I, I, I tell the story about how I, I came home one night. I was exhausted. Uh, I wasn't exhausted because I'd worked my shift in patrol. I was exhausted because I worked my five hours of overtime before I even started my mm. shift. And I knew I had to go do it the next day. And um, it, to be honest, the, the best way to describe it is I was just exhausted. Uh, and I was, I was trying to maintain this lifestyle. You know, everybody thought on the outside, this, this guy was ultra successful. I had all the toys, the cars, I was going on the vacations, but inside I, I, I was exhausted from having to work so much overtime to feed that habit. Mm -hmm. You know, I recently talked to a chief out in California in the suburb of, of San Francisco and their rookie cops, first year cops, you know, come on home with a, you know, $80,000 check, you know, first year. And most of them have never seen that kind of money coming in, you know, and they go out and buy a Corvette or buy something, you know, yep. you know, it, it, even in an area where the cost of living is crazy high. How do you teach young rookies, you know, and, and perhaps they're already in debt because of stupid decisions they've made. How do you yep. teach them to manage that uh, when they come into, you know, a bigger salary? Yep. So I start my training out with a shot question. And I always look at the audience and I say, how many of you in here got into this job to become millionaires? Mm -hmm. And of course, nobody answers that yes, or I get the crude remarks because I work with first responders. <clears throat> and the reality is, is that every single one of us that become first responders got into this job to become millionaires. You see, the biggest game we're playing every day is called the game of money, and we play it every day. And if you add up the amount of income you started earning from the day you started working till the day you retire, most of us are going to have three to five million pieces to the game of money. And so it's what you do with that money that dictates whether you retire broke or you retire a millionaire. And then we focus a lot on the why. You know, why don't we talk about money? What does it do to impact us? And we get into a lot of uh, uh, some of the studies that have to do with millionaires and, and to try to correlate how becoming a millionaire, especially as a first responder, is actually not that hard. It's just about discipline. And it's about, you know, my favorite quote from Dave Ramsey. If you live like no one else later on in life, you get to live like no one else. If you sacrifice a little bit now, 
down the road, you can do whatever you want to usually. So it's really a mindset. And, and I know a lot of us come, you know, with baggage from our past and yeah. how we were taught, how we were raised growing up. I know that was my issue. You know, I grew up in a fairly poor family and never had much. And so I had that mentality of, of, you know, of struggle. And that's all I knew. Yeah. And so I carried that into my marriage. And, you know, consequently, you know, we're now in a point where we're almost can, can shout that thing that we're debt free. We're really yeah. close and really excited about that. But how do you overcome those early brain channels that we have been taught? Um, that's a good one. Um, and, and I don't know that I have the perfect answer for that. Um, you know, in Texas, we are leading the nation when it comes to financial wellness training. Uh, we have probably taught somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30% of all the cops in the state. Mm -hmm. And it's really about getting out in front and talking about this and having the conversation. I mean, if you think about money, money is a very taboo subject. Mm -hmm. it's, and a lot of it's ingrained into us from the day we were born. I mean, your parents Oftentimes, it's very taboo to talk about money. I mean, my mom talks to me about money. My dad, however, I mean, I have no idea what he has because he, it's again, it's that cultural type thing that I believe. And that may be why he doesn't talk to me or not. I don't know, but I just feel like that's was always, it was always just taboo. You don't talk to your, your dad and mom about money. And then we get into the law enforcement space or really any space in the workplace and we start making more money than we've ever made in our entire life. I mean, if you think about it, we're, we're hiring some of these recruits in these major cities at 22, 23 years of age. And, and for some of them, they are doubling and tripling their salary overnight. And you take somebody that didn't come from much, or you take somebody that's not used to making that kind of money. And it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, you know, I call it in my class, the FTO starter pack. You know, we take a, a recruit, we hire them, we pay them a ton of money. And what do they do? Well, they go buy the big fat, you know, lifted truck. They, they buy a brand new rifle. They get a tattoo. They date a nurse, a teacher, or a dispatcher, uh, and they're broke. And, and, and that's just what we do because we're, we're not trained and taught about how do we handle and work with this massive amount of money we're getting handed now. Mm -hmm. How did it change you from an, and your mindset when you started, you know, kind of, kind of bringing your debt load down? What did that do for you? I'm a very goal oriented person. So I really, that's one of the things I loved about the debt snowball was that I could see the, 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 the debt load getting smaller and smaller, but from a mental perspective, every time I paid off a debt and I got closer to that end line, I got a greater sense of freedom. And I remember the first time we finally were debt free and I, I called my wife into the office and we started talking about, you know, look at this budget. And, and I remember the first time I'm like, Hey, come look at the budget. And she's like, what am I looking at? Cause she's my free spirit. Mm -hmm. She hates the B word. Mm -hmm. And I said, you don't see it. She's like, no, I don't. What am I looking at? I'm like money. We don't have any bills anymore. And that freedom and that sense of I can go do other things now was just, it was, it was one of the most liberating things I've ever been through in my entire life. You know, when my wife and I got onto the Dave Ramsey budget plan and we, we use the, the every dollar app, you know, for years I had always thought in my head that a budget would limit me, would limit what I can do. It, we, oh, we don't have that in the budget, but when it, what it really did was freed me. Yep. You know, how can you teach someone that principle that has been kind of the way I was, you know, caught in this, you know, it's going to limit me to really, it'll actually set you yeah. free. You know, it's funny. I was, was, was with a battalion chief from a fire department last week and we were talking about retirement and 
<clears throat> and we were talking about budgets and they were very stressed because the markets are in turmoil right now. And you know, I looked at him and I said, well, how much money do you need in retirement? And he was like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what's your budget tell you? And he looked at me, he goes, Nick, I'm, I'm too old to be put on a budget. <laughs> and I went, no, 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 the budget is not a constriction. It opens the doors. And I tell a story of my wife. You know, I, my, you know, you'll learn that we are an open book in our family. My class is basically our life story. And I remember the first time that we started really digging into the budget, I told Carrie, hey, you're going to get $100 a month to go buy clothes. And she looked at me and she laughed. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, that's cute, Nick. And I said, no, 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 hold on. Hear me out. I noticed that you go spend money on clothes about every three to four months. And when you do, you spend about three to $400. All I'm doing is putting $100 back every single month so that when you go shopping for clothes, the money's there. Mm -hmm. And I remember later on, she told me, you know, I, I, I was a little reluctant at that because I felt constricted. But what it really did was it, it freed me a little bit because I would go shopping and I'd get up to a certain level and I'd start in my head going, crap, what's Nick going to say? Mm -hmm. Have I spent too much? Mm -hmm. She goes, but now I looked at it and I went, okay, I've got $400. I've spent $300. I think I'm done but I got another hundred bucks. Maybe I can buy something else. And it, it made her less stressed, but it opened the door for her to realize sometimes she could buy more than what she thought because she didn't think crap. I got to go home and I got to talk to Nick about this. Mm -hmm. So how does having a huge debt load and, you know, carrying that weight, how does that add to post-traumatic stress? Uh, it's huge. Um, it, it's a it's an extremely big issue. I'm doing a class right now for all 1,200 chiefs in the state of Texas, where we're talking about the mental aspects within their department. I mean, it's a morale issue. Um, you, in one of the largest workplace studies of uh, employees in this country, uh, it was something like 65 to 66 percent of us stress about debt on a daily or on a weekly basis while we're at work. You know, 49 percent of us stress about being able to make our next payment. You know, you look at some studies from CareerBuilder and 78% of us are living paycheck to paycheck, but 66% of us have less than $1,000 in the bank. And you think about that from first responders, I mean, we are in a critical incident sometimes mm -hmm. daily, mm -hmm. and we don't have the latitude to be able to sit there and think about the stress of money while we're in the middle of a critical incident, when in the back of our head, crap, can I make my mortgage payment? But I'll take it a step further from a post-traumatic side of this. You know, I remember when I first promoted to sergeant, I was a nine-year kid at my department and I was promptly uh, promoted and placed on the 30-year veteran shift. So here I am with nine years of experience supervising cops that had three times the experience I do. And I remember my first assignment from my lieutenant was, hey, Nick, here's your problem, children, go fix them. Mm -hmm. And at that time, problem child was defined as these are the cops that they're just sitting under shade trees. They're not doing anything. Figure out how to get them to work. And what I quickly realized is that for some of my cops, it wasn't that they didn't want to work. They were exhausted. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were working 12-hour days, then going and working four hours of overtime, and then some of these folks lived 90 minutes away. I mean, you do the math, how much sleep are you getting? Mm -hmm. So you take that into the sleep cycle and lack of sleep, and then you put a traumatic situation going on and you correlate that to Dr. Kevin Gilmartin's hypervigilant state and it, it messes up our head. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I give a lot of credit to me not having to deal with a lot of the PTSD when I was a cop because I never had to stress about going back home and worrying about paying bills. I never worried about fighting about money with my wife because we talked about it. And I put myself in a situation where I still worked a lot of overtime after I became debt free. 
but I worked overtime because I wanted to go on vacations or upgrade things or do those things. So if at any time I needed a break, I could just take a break. So back up, how many years did it take you to pay off that $80,000 debt? About 24 months. 24 months. That's, that's two years. That's pretty yep. incredible. So, um, just you know, thinking about that, did in the middle of that 24 months, did you ever kind of lose your way? Did you ever like, you know what, forget this. I need to go out and do this and spend some money. And I did a couple times. I mean, it wasn't big things. It's kind of like that diet side of things where, you know, you need a cheat day every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And we would go do some things, but I was, I mean, I, I was pretty hardcore. Now I'll tell you why I was pretty hardcore is because when I went $80,000 in debt, uh, my girlfriend at the time, her name changed to fiance. And I kind of forgot to tell my fiance this little bit of information about being $80,000 in debt. Mm. And so I had to go sit in front of the girl I wanted to marry and explain to her that the guy she wanted to marry was $80,000 in debt when she was 100% debt free. And I remember I looked at her and I said, Carrie, don't worry, I got a plan. And she looked at me back and she said, you better. <laughs> and I told her that I was going to commit to paying off all $80,000 in debt before we got married. And so I really wanted to honor that commitment. Now, I always tell people, you know, I, <clears throat> did I pay off $80,000 in debt? Well, no, I didn't pay off $80,000 in debt. There's no way to pay off $80,000 in debt by working a thousand hours of overtime. The math doesn't add up. Mm. I had to get rid of some stuff. Mm. And I had a car at the time that was the most beautiful car I've ever had in my entire life. And I had to get a loan for the difference when I got rid of it. But that knocked out tens of thousands of dollars. So I had to really dig down deep and make a lot of sacrifices. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what, when we did become debt free, we went on a vacation and we did not, uh, we didn't limit ourselves at all. We splurged, we rewarded ourselves. We started going to steakhouses. And I always tell people when you become debt free with a fully funded emergency fund, if you want to go spend $150 on a steak and lobster this weekend, go. Mm -hmm. You want to go on a vacation, and upgrade your ticket to first class, do it. You've earned that right. You sacrifice so that you don't have to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think keeps an officer, a first responder from? really grabbing a hold of their finances in this way? A lot of it's just, the, again, the lack of education. A lot of it is not, we're cops. We don't like to reach out for help. Um, and by the time we do need help, a lot of times it's too late. It's very, in the finance side of things, it's really similar to what I see when the PTSD suicide movement really first started to gain steam. I mean, if you remember back in the day, it was very taboo for a cop to ask for help or a firefighter. And that's really become a lot more mainstream where it's okay to recognize there's a problem. It's okay to go talk to a counselor or, or get some therapy. And, you, you know, my, my goal and my hope is that we start to bridge that gap in the financial side to go, you know what, it's okay. If you're really struggling with your money or you've done some stupid things, is that embarrassing? Yes. But you know what, it was embarrassing to spend $21,000 on a stereo system. <laughs> There's those that we've done stupid, and that's one of the reasons I think we've become so large is that when we teach our training, it's cops up there airing out our own dirty laundry instead of a shirt and tie up there trying to preach. And it's like, hey, look, I've been in the trenches with you. I've done stupid. I got the T-shirt. But let me tell you my story and how we worked our way out of this, and let's teach about how to get out of this stuff because you can win with money even if you're a first responder. Mm -hmm. Do you guys ever get, you know, pushback from people, maybe, you know, people in leadership or even even those who you're talking to? Do you, do you get like, you know, ah, I'm not sure if really this is for me or if, if it really works? 
Uh, I do occasionally. It's again, it's getting more mainstream. I mean, Texas is we've taught so many people. And now that we're teaching all across the country, I mean, I've got classes scheduled in 17 states this year. And it's most people when they hear about financial wellness, um, unfortunately, they get that whole mentality of what are you trying to sell? Hmm. Um, because there are those out there that are doing this stuff that try to sell stuff. And we're a very, very holistic. We do only financial wellness training, you know, even though we do own a financial firm on top of that. And I'll give you an example. I, I teach for a group called first responder conferences all across the mm -hmm. country. And, uh, I've, uh, a couple of uh, several, almost every time I teach for them, I get an evaluation back that says something along the lines of, I saw financial wellness in this conference and scratched my head and thought, really? <laughs> but now I get it. Now I understand. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little bit of pushback initially sometimes, but once they start to go through the class or the training, they, they understand. And you know, it's funny when I have departments ask me to come teach, about half of them will make it optional. Half of them make it mandatory. And I always tell my optional ones that the ones that need this the most will never come to this if you make it optional. And I've had multiple agencies across the country that'll bring us in to teach on an optional side. And then once they've gone through it, go holy moly and bring us back out to mandate it for the whole department. Mm -hmm. So um, what gives you just joy? What really makes your heart sing as a part of this work that you're doing? You know, it's unfortunate as a financial advisor, I'm not allowed to give testimonials or, or post testimonials, but I get a lot of them. And the funnest emails I've ever gotten or phone calls is, you know, I, I had an officer from a local agency that reached out to me last year and she said, Hey, I went to your class when I was in the Academy four years ago. And I just wanted to let you know that I really listened to what you had to say. And yesterday I became debt free. Wow. And there's just no better feeling than to know that, you know, that's just one that came and told us how many are we affecting out of that? And, you know, it's like, I want to look at those young officers and go, you, you've just become millionaires. And you don't even realize it yet. Cause if you keep that mentality, you keep doing those things and you have a very high likelihood of being a very successful, uh, not just cop, but, or, or firefighter, but, but, but person in general. And so that's really the biggest joy I get is when I, when I hear those people that come back and go, Hey, I really, I, I, I learned this in your class. I took it to heart. And because of this, we're starting to win with money. Mm -hmm. Is bankruptcy ever an option? It is. Uh, very rarely is it an option, in my opinion. Uh, <clears throat> I, one of the most common questions I get, and when it comes to bankruptcy, most people that think they're bankruptcy candidates aren't actually bankruptcy candidates until they get into the mix. And then there's a lot of those that are bankruptcy candidates or they think they're bankruptcy candidates that actually could fix it themselves if they would just get some discipline. And unfortunately, in our country, we are an instant mm -hmm. gratification society. And I always joke because I get questions, you know, Nick, what do you think about debt consolidation loans? And I'm like, there's a reason they're called debt con consolidation <laughs> loans. Um, and it's not that they're a con in that sense. It's just that when people start doing debt consolidation loans, they start doing home equity loans or they file bankruptcy. What they're usually doing is they're putting a Band-Aid on the problem. Mm -hmm. And most people think the money's the problem. They, if I can just make a little bit more money, it'll solve my problems. The mm -hmm. money is not a problem. The money is a symptom of the problem. Mm -hmm. The problem is us. It's you in that sense. Mm -hmm. And what I really like about working through a program, you know, you talk about Dave Ramsey's or whether it's ours, uh, we call ours the eight phases of financial training, is that when you work on you as the problem to fix the symptom, and you work through that debt reduction, you build an emergency fund, 
you start to realize how tough it is and you don't go back. You know, I tell people all the time, I want you to feel the pain of paying off debt. I want you to feel the pain of being uncomfortable because you don't have enough money and savings to cover an emergency. So that when you find yourself in that situation again, because you're going to, life happens, you remember the pain and you don't go back to doing the things that got you back to that pain. Mm -hmm. So if someone's watching this and they're a first responder and they're, they realize that, man, I've got a, a mountain of debt. I'm, you know, working overtime to try to, you know, just pay the interest on those credit cards. What's the first step? So we call our, our, our training, the, or our, our, our financial plan side of it, we call it the eight phases of financial training. And I call it the eight phases because it mimics FTO phase for cops and firefighters. They've all been through FTO. And when you go through FTO training, you can't go from phase one to phase four. You have to do one at a time. And phase one of our training is the budget. Uh, nothing starts with any kind of financial planning really without the budget. And we've got to start to get a grasp of what our budget is. And when I teach budgets, I teach budgets with law enforcement or firefighter terms. You know, I, I, I talk about having a SWAT team, a SWAT team. The most important thing that that SWAT team does before they leave the station is they do an operations plan. You know, for my firefighters, when you go to a fire, there's an ops plan for how to progress into that. What's the plan for that? But the most important thing is not the plan. It's not the fire. It's not the SWAT raid. It's what they do afterwards. They debrief. They do an after action plan. Did everything we think was going to happen go according to plan or do we need to adjust things next time? And that's all a budget is, is doing your ops plan before the month begins, debriefing throughout the month and doing an after action to review what happened. And that's the first step in any financial plan, whether you're trying to get out of debt, whether you're trying to retire, whether you're trying to save for vacation, doesn't matter what you're doing in a financial side. The budget is the first stage, and that's why we call it the first phase of training. So what should I do with my credit cards? Um, you know, I go back and forth on this. You know, I love me some Dave. Uh, I am a Ramsey <laughs> Solutions master coach, and eventually I'm going to get told I can't say that anymore uh, because Dave is very, very anti-credit card, and I actually do believe there is a responsible way to use credit cards in America. Now, I, I give an asterisk. I did not have a credit card for years, and I felt like that was very important for me not to have that credit card to teach me the discipline to go into it and be able to use it as a tool. Um, now, at the same time, it's really hard to lose weight in America with a tub of ice cream in the freezer. <laughs> and so if you're trying to become debt free, it's tough to become debt free if you keep using credit cards. So I do believe that in the beginning, <clears throat> it's very, very healthy to get rid of all of your credit cards and stop using them. And then you can work your way back up to using a credit card. And I kind of have a three part strategy when it comes to using credit cards. I always tell people, if you can honestly say you do these three things, you win. I will never debate you about your use of credit cards. One, you always pay your credit card off every single month and you never have a balance. So you don't pay interest. Uh, the reality is, is that if you say you're doing this, you're in the minority because less than 40% of Americans do that. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, 60% of Americans do not pay their credit cards off every month. But if you're in that category, great. You've made it through phase one of that. Phase two, you have a fully funded three to six month emergency fund. So that when Murphy moves into your spare bedroom, and he will, you can write a check for the water heater and replace the water heater, and it doesn't affect your ability to pay your credit card off. You know, credit card companies know that 66% of us don't have $1,000 in the bank. So if that water heater goes out, 
We're going to do what most Americans do when it comes to financial emergencies. We're going to use credit cards. And then we're not paying that credit card off that month because we didn't have in the, the savings, which means we're stuck in the vicious cycle again. Mm -hmm. So pay it off every month, fully funded emergency fund. And third but not least, I like to see people contributing 15 to 20% of their gross income into retirement accounts, whether that's a combination of pensions, deferred comps, IRAs, whatever in that sense. And so that way, when the emergency happens, you can pay it off. You can take care of your credit card and it doesn't affect your long-term ability to retire. And I've always kind of looked at that and gone, you know what, if you do those three things, it's very hard for me to win a debate against you about using credit cards responsibly in America. There are some good cards out there, especially if you like to travel. There's some great travel you know, perks that uh, are, you can be had with a, with a good credit card. And, yeah. and I have, I have you know, friends that, that travel internationally and they never pay for a flight. And, yeah. and they get upgrades. Yeah. And, and I mean, I do the same thing now. I, you know, I, I haven't had a, a car payment or a, a balance on a credit card in 15 years. And people go, wait a minute, you use a credit card now? Well, yeah, actually, I don't even wait for the month to be over. I pay my credit card off every Friday, hmm. personal and business. I don't even let it get there. And again, it's, it, it, it's using a credit card for what I think it should be used for, which is it's a tool. Mm -hmm. It's not a let's go buy a bunch of stuff. And that's why I think actually cutting your credit cards up in the beginning is very advantageous. Mm -hmm because it teaches you that it's a tool and you talk about that temptation that kicks in, you know, I may be the nerd in my family, but my name's Nick and I like to buy stuff. <laughs> and I, I go through times where I just want to spend money. My wife is my free spirit, but she's my natural saver. And so I've got her as my accountability partner, but the same token in the beginning, had I been trying to work out of debt and I hit one of those spending phases and I looked over and I had $4,000 on a balance on a credit card, you know, that's where that it's hard to lose weight in America with a tub of ice cream mentality comes into play. So how much should I put into savings versus how much should I put into investments? Yep. So phase two of training for me is $2,000 in a uh, baby emergency fund. I want you to have enough money in the bank so you can, uh, if you get a flat tire, you can go write a check for that flat tire. Phase three is the debt snowball. And that's where we start to work our snowball system to become debt free. Phase four is where we start to get into the emergency fund. And I like to recommend three to six months worth of savings. Um, if you're single or you're a single income family, I really like six months. If you're dual income, you may be able to do three. I always tell people you got to do what you feel is most comfortable. And I want you to have that emergency fund in place so that, again, if there's an emergency, you can write a check for it. Then after that, we can focus on retirement. I actually don't tell people to do anything into retirement savings outside of a match on your 401k or 457 until we become debt-free with a fully funded emergency fund. And then I like to look at about, again, 15 to 20% as a general guide. Some people you know, want to do more. Some people want to do less. Uh, going into retirement, you know, again, we, we subtract our pension out. So if your pension's 7%, you're doing 15. We need to find 8% more. And then it's about weighing your pros and cons about what are the right accounts for you at that point. Uh, do you look at Roth IRAs? Do you have a Roth 401k? Or do you just use your 457? And what are the different uh, uh, accounts you have access to and starting to really fine tune in and making a plan of which one of those are, are best for you? But again, that that's that general guideline 15 to 20% uh, in, in, in of gross into retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. So if, uh, if an agency wants to bring you in, what does that look like and what will they learn at the end of that? Yep. So there's two ways. So we can come and teach in person um, or we actually have our virtual financial cop academy now that's live where 
It's the same four-hour training that we do in person, and we're actually in production to do some additional modules where we're going to add a, a budgeting 101 workshop, some debt reduction workshops, retirement uh, workshops, et cetera. And so either way, if you go through the virtual or you go through the in-person, we teach 10 modules. Uh, so we teach the why, you know, why are we talking about this, the uh, the how, et cetera. Uh, we, we go in-depth into every dollar budgeting where we start to talk about how do you actually build an a uh, an ops plan and, a, and an after action plan. We do a lesson on will and estate. So why, why is it important for us to do will and estate planning? What are the different terminologies within there? Um, I do a lesson called legacy go bag where it's teaching people how to build a legacy go bag so that God forbid something happens to you. Your family knows where all the pieces to the financial puzzle are. Um, we do debt reduction and debt marketing, how our credit cards marketed to us and how do we create a debt reduction program uh, with the debt snowball. Uh, we do full lessons on life insurance. We do, uh, uh, I like to call my life insurance section, how to avoid getting ripped off by bad life insurance agents. And because uh, that's, unfortunately, I see that all too often. Um, we do a full retirement pension analysis, uh, retirement accounts, learning about the stock market. We do the pitfalls of first responders. And then we have my favorite section, which is called how to interrogate financial planners. Uh, how do we learn what they do so that we can start to build trust and what are the questions you ask them? And then we end it with an overview in-depth lesson on the eight phases of financial training. So what can someone do if they're at the end of their career, they're looking at their retirement plan and perhaps, uh, well, for example, we have uh, someone that I know who's been removed from her job and she did, did not get her full pension and she has some debt and what can, what can a person like that do? So it's the number one thing that we talk about. It doesn't matter if you're forced out, if you're looking at retiring, you're planning on retiring, whatever you're going to do, everything revolves around that budget. <laughs> and so that's the first thing. I mean, it's why we, it's why it's the first thing we teach. It's why it's so early. It's the first phase. And, you know, again, a, a good question I get from my retirees is, Nick, am I going to be able to survive off my pension? What's my retirement look like? And I always follow that up with, what's your budget tell you? Um, your budget will tell you what you can do with that. And for those close to retirement or in a situation like she is, I always tell people that, you know, six months before you retire, you should be doing concurrent budgets. You should do your normal family budget. And then you should do the exact same budget with what you anticipate your pension is going to pay you. And that will tell you if you've got enough. It'll tell you if you got a deficit. And if you do have a deficit, that's going to give you a good idea of how much money you need to take out of your uh, investments for retirement purposes to survive. And it's going to tell you if it's enough or do I need to get a part-time job? Can I just go do whatever I want? I mean, everything revolves around that budget. And, you know, unfortunately, when you start to get into the I've been forced out, my pension's not enough. Um, then, you know, the budget's even more crucial because we're probably going to take a pay cut and we need to understand how much money do I need to go make out there? But more importantly, what am I spending? What can I cut back on? I mean, if I've got a, a situation where I'm losing my job and I'm not going to make as much, where exactly in my budget can I cut things from to try to make that money last longer until I find the replacement job? Mm -hmm. And in that situation or in any situation, really, how important is it to really have someone that you can be accountable to? Huge. Um, it's huge. And, you know, you heard me say earlier, I go through times where I want to buy stuff and carries my accountability partner. Um, especially for my single folks, you still, I always tell people, you still need to find yourself a money buddy, someone you trust. 
Um, especially in a situation where you've lost a job like that, because we're going into the, we're getting into the emotional side of mm -hmm. things and spending makes us feel better. And that accountability partner has to have the wherewithal to look you in the face and say, Hey, Bozo, <laughs> fix your stupid car. You know, a joke. We all, we've all had that internal discussion in our head. We'll take a $250 car repair and we'll use it to justify a $600 truck payment for the next five years. When what we should have done is just pay off or, or, or pay the car uh, repair in that sense. So that accountability partner is huge, especially if you're going through a traumatic situation or a high stress situation, because that's when we get ourselves into the biggest holes because we do stuff that makes it, it, we do stuff that makes it worse. Mm -hmm. Well, this is something that affects everyone, whether they're a first responder or not. And I think it's something that's important. What you guys are doing is so important uh, for the mental health for first responders. And I think that's that's key. So thank you for for the service you provide. How can anyone get, a, get in touch with you? What What's the process there? So we've got our website, financialcop.com. Uh, so it's got ways you can reach out to us. You can email me at nick at financialcop.com. There's all kinds of things on, there's resources on the webpage about not only the financial wellness training we teach, but our financial planning, but also has uh, resources and blogs that we write about the different topics we teach. Uh, there's free legacy go bag worksheets for your legacy planning. So financialcop.com is the best way to reach out to us. And so I'm gonna give you the final word. What's uh what can you tell to our first responders? What, what should they know right now about their finances? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're 100% correct. You have to believe you can win with money because you can. It's that whole, if you think the little man can't get ahead, you're never going to get ahead. We can win with money as first responders. It just takes a little bit of discipline and there's education, there's resources out there, whether you come to Financial Cop, whether you look at something else, a Dave Ramsey, a Susie Orman, whatever. There's resources out there to help us win with money so that we can alleviate that stress. And I always tell people it's it, this, this training is about giving our finances back to us from a control perspective, but doing so in a manner that allows us to take care of the number one priority in our life, which is our families. And far too many of us give our families up for the job. And a lot of times it's because of the stress and it's because of the money. And it's because we feel comfortable at, at our job. But the reality is, is that if we get our financial health, wealth, uh, our, our financial wellness in order, our mental wellness, our physical, all of those aspects, it allows us to take care of our, our number one priority, our family, so that we can do the noble profession we chose to do. First responders, whether you're a firefighter, a cop, EMS, nurse, whatever it is out there, it gives you that latitude to reduce your stress load, to focus on the position that you dedicated your life, which was a life of service. Hmm. Well, Nick, thank you for sharing your insights into this. And I, and I really hope people can uh, reach out to you and get the financial help that they need, especially in this, this time when everything, the costs are rising for everything, you know, you're paying $5 gas and all that kind of fun stuff. I think it's, it's even more important to be financially prepared for those kind of things. So I appreciate it. Nick, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your insight and your wisdom when it comes to, to our financial health. I encourage everyone to check out Nick's website, financialcop.com. Go check it out and to learn more about how you too can become a millionaire even as uh, you are approaching your retirement years and you can get out of debt and have that financial freedom that, uh, that you deserve. So 
go, go check it out, financialcop.com. I really encourage you to do that. Hey, thanks so much for sticking around and watching the show and listening to the show. I really appreciate it. And before we go, I really appreciate you being a part of our audience and for sharing in this time together with us. Stay tuned for another episode, another show coming up very soon in the next week or two. I have some great interviews lined up for you. So be sure to hit the subscribe button and share this with your with your friends, share this with your network so that they too can enjoy and learn from the show episodes that we have. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Go out there, be well, be safe, and I'll talk to you again soon. Views expressed are that of the host that are for informational purposes only and in no event should be construed as an offer to buy or sell securities. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial situations, or needs of individual investors. Either IFP Advisors LLC, IFP Securities LLC, DDA Independent Financial Partners, nor their affiliates offer tax or legal advice. Interested parties are strongly encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax and or legal expert in regarding to the best options for your particular situations. Uh, investment advice is offered through IFP Advisors, LLC, doing business as independent financial partners, a registered investment advisor. IFP Financial Cop and Serve and Protect Financial Texas are not affiliated.